Well, hello again, and welcome to episode 50 of the Cheers to Comics podcast. I am your host, Brian Wayne, and this week I will be raising my glass to the books that came out on the 25th of September 2019, as well as discussing other things relative to the world of comic books. So, full disclosure, this is a lightly based spoilery type of podcast, but I do take the time to add in timestamps in the description, so flip through there if there's something that you don't want spelled for you, so you know where to skip ahead. Uh, besides that, I have been known to drop some F-bombs here and there, so all of you sensitive-eared listeners, you've been warned. So, real quick, I like to touch on this episode 50 thing. I'm not going to be doing this big spectacular type of thing, because my bar is way, way higher for myself. I'll celebrate at 100 or something like that. But this is actually the one-year anniversary of the podcast, so that that is something to celebrate. So for one year, some of you people have been tuning in, and I cannot thank you enough. Uh, Most of you, it's been less than a year. (laughs) And I'm not judging you for that, but I hope that I have you at this point. It's just getting better. This is kind of the the trial phase. In the beginning, I, I didn't expect a whole lot of progress, but... Thanks to all of your listenership and feedback and reviews and all of that good stuff, this this podcast has exceeded my expectations in the first year. So thank you, Slurred, so much for all of that. Uh, But I'm done tugging on your groins and tickling your your cooters and all of that stuff. Let's let's get on with the show. And a hell of a show it shall be. Let's start with the news. There's a couple of things to talk about. Nothing massively major or anything like that, but a couple of things that I found exciting. So we're going to talk Conan. I've recently fallen into the, 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 the Conan trap since he's back in Marvel. We're going to have another Conan 4-issue miniseries popping off in December. Conan Serpent War. Now, what is Conan Serpent War? Conan Serpent War is a team-up with Conan, the Barbarian, and Moon Knight. Yeah, you heard that right. Moon Knight, Conan the Barbarian. But it gets even better. This is more than just a um, a match made in heaven fan play type of thingy. Robert E. Howard, the creator of Conan, is also introducing two more of his creations into Marvel canon. One of them being Solomon Kane. Now, Solomon Kane, to my understanding, has been featured in the Marvel Universe before, but not interacting with any Marvel characters or anything like that. So I think he's just been a title under the the Marvel umbrella. But he's going to be right there with Conan and Moon Knight in this title, supposedly. But along with that, we're also getting another character of Robert E. Howard's that's never been featured in any comic book form whatsoever, so that tells me this character was developed in a novel. And that's going to be Dark Agnes de Chastillon, or however the fuck you say that. Uh, so, I don't know anything about that guy either, but whether you're a Robert E. Howard fan, or just a Conan fan, or a Moon Knight fan, uh, this is this is something to get excited about. Me, I fall under the Conan Moon Knight situation, but that's only because I'm ignorant to Solomon Kane and Dark Agnes de Chastillon. Uh, who's writing this book, you may ask? Well, it's not Robert E. Howard, because we would all love to see him write Moon Knight, right? Jim Zub is writing this, along with Scott Eaton, and Steve Segovia is also credited all up in there to do all four issues. So, 
I found, once again, the, the title of this book is Conan Serpent War. May not be news to all y'all, but once I found out the details as to what the fuck's happening, <coughs> I got excited. So, the other piece of news I found relevant to talk about is also Marvel news. Now, this title, um, the uh, I'm going to be talking about Immortal Hulk here. Immortal Hulk number 25 is about to show us some shit. But the, the news revolving around Immortal Hulk number 24 and 25 seem to have been uh, very misleading. I was led to believe that 24 and 25 would be pushed way back. Well, 24 is supposedly going to be here Wednesday. And uh, 25 is seems to be scheduled on time because they're telling us everything about it. And what's going on in 25 is, well, I guess I could kind of back up just a little bit. According to Marvel, we are in the eighth iteration of the Marvel Universe. So that means it's been rebooted. It's died seven times. So we're at number eight now. Well, uh, this 40-page spectacular of Immortal Hulk number 25 is going to give us a glimpse at the ninth iteration of the Marvel Universe. So it's going to take place way, 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 way in the future. They don't tell us how way in the future, but it's way in the future. So it kind of gives us an idea of, okay, well, the, the one we're in isn't going anywhere anytime soon, but they definitely have what's to come mapped out, or at least a, a, an outline. They're going to be introducing this major cosmic being, supposedly, so uh, Galactus might be taken off of his little pedestal. I don't fucking know. I don't think his pedestal's little, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so that's that's what I got for the news. I found those things to be particularly exciting to myself. Uh, yeah, so let's let's get on with the overviews. There are definitely some books to talk about this week. We're going to start out with the indies and my most anticipated book of the week. We're just going to knock out Bloodshot number one. Get that right out of the way. Bloodshot number one from Valiant. We've got Brett Booth, uh, Tim Seeley, uh, Alessa Corona and Andrew Dollhouse Cover by Declan Shelby And there are a few covers to choose from But I went with cover A Like I usually tend to do when number ones are relaunched And I only get one of the covers So Bloodshot is the my Valiant character That's that's my dude I love the, the Rising Spirit What was it, eight issues that popped off? I dug it quite a bit I, I, I like the, the origin it's Flat out of Bloodshot now we're getting Bloodshot. He's he, he realized what the fuck Project Rising Spirit did to him, and now he's on a rampage. And essentially what this book is, through these 20 pages, is Bloodshot just on a fucking rampage. And, you know, <laughs> I dug it. I dug it quite a bit. Admittedly, there were a couple of points where I did get a little bit confused because I feel like maybe... They had panels drawn out the the editor found didn't fit somehow or something. I don't know. I just feel like there were a couple of pieces of information missed. But that's that's nit, nitpicky type of stuff. It doesn't take away from the story at all. I still very, very, very much enjoyed this story. And I'm happy to say that I am fully subscribed to it. Uh, Tim Seeley, his, his, I've never been disappointed by his stuff. As a matter of fact, Tim Seeley was my... My introduction into DC, as far as reading comics goes, or getting back into comics, so I thought, I don't, what character am I going to start out with? And I, a blind leap of, leap of faith, I chose Nightwing, 
and Tim Seeley is the one that wrote Nightwing in the beginning of this rebirth phase, and I'll be goddamned if it didn't totally convince me that I'm going to have a whole lot of faith in reading DC Comics in the future, so... That's that's definitely something to be acknowledged. But as far as the Bloodshot book goes, he did a great job. Brett Booth is a kick-ass artist, along with the the inker and the the colorist as well. So I get excited about Bloodshot. It's here to stay. More indie comics. We've got some mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Ryan Parrott, Daniele Di Nicolo, and Walter Biamonte, covered by Jamal Campbell. Alright, so, um, at this point in time, now I have to give this disclaimer every time I talk about a Power Rangers book. As much as I love the Power Rangers, I stopped watching when I was 8 years old. So, I don't know when are all of these other Rangers and continuity and all of that stuff. I jumped back on during Shattered Grid when they were fucking everything up. And I mean that in the best possible way. I don't mean they were fucking shit up. I mean, they were just really screwing with the, the, the timelines and the universes and, well, the grid. So, with all that being said, uh, I <laughs> my, my, really my disclaimer is, is that I do my best with these Power Ranger books. Uh, you hardcore Power Ranger fans out there at times are probably like, You fucking idiot! Just get it right! His name's... Not, yeah, I, you should know that. But the fact is, is I don't know that. But I also know that there's people out there that want me to talk about Power Rangers, so I give it my damnedest try. This one, I feel like I got a decent grasp on. So we've got a ranger split up. We've got the rangers in Safe Haven, and I forget what they're calling them at this point, but they're there with Emissary, which seems to be... I don't know what color you would call this ranger, but he does shit. It's a Power Ranger with a cape. He's their uh, uh, Zordon. <laughs> Sorry, Jesus Christ. The bears are totally working. So on this team, we've got Jason, Trini, and Zack, but along with our new character, Kaya, and I believe she's the Teal Ranger, the Turquoise Ranger. I don't know. More Teal than Turquoise. Turquoise. <laughs> um, but she to shit. She's definitely the most powerful one out of all of them because she's kind of alien-ish. And uh, so right now, they're actually, they, in the last issue, they captured Garrison Box, and now he's being imprisoned. Before they put him in his little uh, jar and, you know, throw him in prison for good, they ask him for his help. They say, hey, we could use your powers, and would you help us? And he says, you know what? Fuck you, homie. I'm going to get out of this jar. Y'all lock me up. I'm going to rain shit all over your faces. I'm not helping you. So that's that. And then we go over to Kaya. Uh, there, there's a moment where she's out just walking around, mopey doping. Keep in mind, these are all kind of teenagers still, so they're emo. Kaya's super emo because she's remembering her dead brother. And Trini comes up, and they have themselves a little chatty poo. And we, we essentially get the origin of Kaya and says, I got my powers when the, the grid shattered. And in that time, my brother, he also died. So when y'all did that, I got good. Brother got dead. So, hmm. <laughs> and Trini says, I saw we. Now we go back to the Rangers in Angel Grove. And they're called to action. And the, so this is where it confuses me. I feel like I should know this character, but I don't. It's this cloaked dog-looking figure, kind of, I mean, 
I get, I get an Anubis type of vibe without the gold and the bling. Just yeah, if Anubis was a was a street merchant. <laughs> That's the idea as far as character design that I get. But it turns out he a badass motherfucker. So he's kind of he's trolling, uh, scouting out these rangers of Angel Grove and snickering as he sneaks around buildings. But he finally gets his moment when he appears and. Uh, the Power Rangers appear to fuck him up, but their blasters don't work. So, yeah, They're fucked, right? I don't know who this dog dude is. So, if you do know his name and it's something I should know, please let me know. Because Google's not helping me with the uh, Power Ranger dog dude. <laughs> so, yeah. But he seems badass. Very, very badass. And there's also a moment where the Rangers, they get uh, the Rangers back in space or safe haven. I don't know if it's in space, wherever safe haven is. Uh, well, yeah, I would no, it's in space somewhere, or at least not on Earth. So they get this uh, the notification of this planet breach, and they they go to infiltrate this party. They're sneaking in this party, and they're all dapper and they're blending in smoothly. But the the party is interrupted. Uh, by Queen Adriel, I believe is her name. That's definitely, I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, at least they kind of give her name there. I do kind of have this gripe with uh, comic book writers or storytellers that want us to learn these characters' names, but they don't mention them their name but once every three fucking issues. So it makes it really hard to know these characters. Thankfully, we know who the fuck Queen Adriel is, despite my lack of pronunciation knowledge. <laughs> she's there, and she's essentially, she's holding this party hostage, and she's very aware that these Power Rangers, that aren't, you know, all rangered out, they're, they're just them teens, the, uh, their teen selves is what I'm trying to say, and she straight up calls them out. So we get two cliffhangers on each side of Power Rangers. Hey, you know what? I think I actually described that book. It took me long enough, though. Jeez. I, I'm digging Power Rangers quite a bit. More... Indie comics. We've got the plot. The plot is anytime a horror book is announced, I'm all about that shit. Uh, the my main draw to the plot was actually a variant cover that was homaging the House of Secrets, that first appearance swamp thing. But it turns out the the actual story to this book is <laughs> it, it, it's got me hooked. Never uh, for lack of words, Tim Daniel. Michael Morris, Moretzi, Joshua Hickson, and Jordan Boyd on the creative team. And uh, who do we got? Gooden and Daniel on the cover. So, we've got this character by the name of Charles. He's this philanthropist son of a bitch who's not really digging. You know, he's, he's kind of down on himself for whatever reason. Despite the fact that it's his birthday and he's got a party going out there and he's got this dope kick-ass hot wife, you know, saying, hey, you're good <laughs> go celebrate your birthday and he's being all emo and out of the shadows lurks this figure and all fucking hell breaks loose this figure he turns uh, charles turns around and he's like daddy actually he says father but i think daddy just sounds better and this figure is this green weird demonic troll i wouldn't say troll still kind of reminds me of Swamp Thing a little bit with just fewer plants. I don't know. Anyways, grabs the wife by the neck, breaks her neck, throws her out the fucking window. She's dead. <laughs> then it goes after Charles. Pins Charles against the wall. Uh, 
hand around the throat, gives him a weird kiss, like a really weird, creepy kiss, throws him out the fucking window. He survives for a moment, but not for long. Well, that's the end of those two. So immediately think, okay, these are our characters. Nope, they're fucking dead. <laughs> now, well, it turns out they had kids. They had kids! Well, these kids, their names are Zach and Mackenzie, and now they're left in the custody of their uncle, Uncle Chase. Well, Uncle Chase, he's new to this thing, so he doesn't have a place of his own, so they're going to go to the family house. Uh, this seems to be the same house that Charles and his wife were killed in. So, is this the same house that the kids lived in? I'm, I'm confused. I don't know why the kids didn't live with the parents. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I'm sure that'll be explained. Or maybe I just missed it, and forgive me for that. But nevertheless, they move into this house, and guess what? Weird shit starts happening. And, uh, Zach, he gets pulled into this pond type of thing, and does he survive? I don't know. But he's discovering some shit if he's dying in the meantime. I don't... I, mm, I'm digging the shit out of this book. Well, see, what really catches me with this book is it's not a in-your-face horror book. For, uh, you, you forget it's a horror book until the shit goes down. So that means it's paced very well. The horror comes at a surprise, and I dug it. I, I, I dug it quite a bit. I'm very, very, very impressed. So it was a light week for the indies, but I I very much enjoyed what I did read. So let's let's move on to Marvel. We've got some amazing Spider-Man action. Amazing Spider-Man number 30, Legacy 831. Nick Spencer, Ryan Otley, Cliff Rathburn, and Nathan Fairbain. Covered by Otley and Fairbain. So this this is an Absolute car Carnage tie-in. So full disclosure, if you haven't been reading Absolute Carnage, this book is going to confuse the shit out of ya. So... Let's 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 carry on. We've got this Kindred character, and Kindred is this character that's been introduced. He was introduced in issue one of Spencer's Spider-Man run, and has yet to really mean anything to this story. They really just keep dragging out this character, and frankly, I'm a little fucking annoyed. But I, I would imagine that he's gonna do something eventually. Uh, but he plays a well, they try to make him seem like he plays a part in this Absolute Carnage tie-in, but I'm still really confused as to what the fuck that part is. We see him paying a visit to Norman while he's still at Ravencroft, so this is before Carnage gets to him. But be between the time he's introduced and he gets to Norman, he's having this dialogue with Mysterio, and he fucking kills Mysterio. Or at least maims him pretty badly. I would imagine he's pretty fucking dead, but... Yeah, I don't understand what Kindred's part was in any of this, so I'm not going to go too far into that. So let's carry on to what the, what's actually happening now in Absolute Carnage. So Spidey, at this point, he he's trying to get Normie and Dylan to safety. Venom and he have split up. It's up to Spidey to, yeah, get them to safety. Because at this point, Eddie Brock's fucking useless because Venom, or the Venom symbiote, has bonded to someone else. I won't spoil who that is, because that's, yeah, not a part of this podcast. But, uh, uh, nevertheless, Norman is on the hunt, but he's still, he thinks he's Cletus. He, he's convinced that he's Cletus. Anytime Spidey calls him out and says, hey, fucking Norman, he's like, nah, I'm fucking Cletus. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the, the, the two of them, they, they have a little go. And while they're fighting each other, we've, we're getting these flashbacks of Flash Thompson and... Yeah, that's that's really what's happening in this issue. It's uh, Nick Spencer's having his fun too, I guess. 
like I said, I, I, this isn't an, uh, an issue that I have a, a very easy time recommending because it is purely a absolute carnage tie-in. And I don't know if it could really even be enjoyed properly on its own. Um, and the only reason I'm, I'm unaware of that is because I'm reading Absolute Carnage, so I couldn't tell you if I would be confused or not. I feel like I would be confused, though. So, uh, yeah, that's that's Spider-Man and its roller coaster ways. Absolute Carnage Miles Morales number two. So this is another Absolute Carnage tie-in. Uh, Saladin Ahmed, Federico Vicentini, and Eric Garcianega. Cover by Clayton Crane. Alright, so Miles, as we know, has been bonded with a symbiote. And that's that's bad. <laughs> uh, he's answering to Carnage. And Carnage puts him on a mission. And he's teamed up with this happy Dan character. I don't know. But he's just as angry and carnage as you would imagine, even though his name's Happy Dan. So those two, their mission is to hunt down J. Jonah Jameson. And, well, that's that's exactly what they go to do. And they make it into the, the bugle. I don't know if it's still the bugle at this point now that I think about it. But they make it into work, J. Jonah Jameson's work. And he essentially says, well, I'm fucking, <laughs> well, this, this shit always happens to me. I'm a menace. I don't think that's what he said. Something along those lines. But he's trying to get everyone else to safety as he tries to, to run away from all of his other co-workers so that, he, you know, he's, he's the only target. And, uh, yeah, so as that's, that's happening, Miles and Happy Dan are chasing him. But Miles, at the same time, he's, he realized that he actually, he's conscious inside this thing. His brain's not consumed. Uh, so he's, he's actually trying to fight it. And during the chase scene between he and uh, J. Jonah Jameson... He actually kind of snaps out of her, out of it for long enough to try to convince Happy Dan. Hey, dude, blah, 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 you know, bad, stop. <clears throat> well, it doesn't take long before the symbiote wraps him back up again and takes a big old fucking bite out of J. Jonah Jameson. Yeah. <laughs> Not a lot happened in that issue. It was, it was a chase scene. But I find that anytime old Jameson's on panel, as long as he's written correctly, you're going to get some... Comedic relief, and Saladin Ahmed did that. So, good on ya. I dug it. I thought it was a fine Carnage title. I was actually... I, I didn't know how to feel about it because I couldn't imagine they could have given us much on account of, you know, right off the bat, felt like it kind of died in a way. Miles died. But that's not the case at all. They give us a little bit of hope even though they completely pull that back away from us for a moment. But... To be fair, there's another issue, so I'm sure <laughs> there's there's more to be told. Staying on the theme of spiders, uh, yeah, there's a lot of Spider-Man shit. Ghost Spider number two. So, this was kind of the make-or-break issue for me. This is whether or not I stay on the Gwen Stacy train. I love the character so much. I really do. Uh, reading the character, however, eh, it's, it's hit or miss for me. I think it's just one of those things where I enjoy the character design and the idea of the character. So, Gwen Stacy has been rebooted into this ghost spider character. And she's gotten... gotten? She's had two opportunities for her own ongoing. Now we're on the second. All with the same creative team. 
And the idea of this reboot or relaunch of the Ghost Spider title was to bring Gwen Stacy into our Earth-616 continuity. Now, uh, let's talk about the creative team real quick. Shawnee McGuire, Takeshi Maezawa, uh, Rosie Kemp, and Ian Herring. And the cover by Jorge Molina. So, did this book deliver? Will I be continuing on? Yeah, for a few more issues, more than likely, at least. I, I, I like the idea of Gwen Stacy going back and forth, and that's that's what we're going to get for a minute, I think. I think we're going to get the best of both worlds. I think the, the writers are trying to, or the creators are trying to figure out, you know, what's what we want, because this is a character that, yeah, <laughs> doesn't have a whole lot of title or issues under her belt. Uh, 52 of them, to be exact. So... What's going on in this issue? We start out with Gwen. She's in her Earth, Earth-65, and she learns that uh, John Jameson, or Man-Wolf, one of her mortal enemies, has been released from prison uh, in this Earth. J. Jonah Jameson. Hey, it's that name again. He's mayor, so naturally he's going to make sure his, his son's not in prison. Well, she's you know having that dialogue with her daddy. Her daddy, I think he's the... I don't know if he's the warden of the jail or something. He's, he's the guy that wants John Jameson in jail. We can say that much. So, yeah, we have that dialogue between the two of them. Well, time for school. And the thing is, Gwen, Gwen's balance here is home life at Earth-65, school life, heroing life, and the 616, because she still has a secret identity in the 616, so she's still trying to get used to that. She's not just blatantly swinging willy-nilly through the streets without any type of disguise or costume or anything like that, so, well, we, we, we do we do touch on all that. Uh, beyond all that, we uh, she meets this new friend while she's in college, and this friend is Benji. And I, I, I kind of got the idea right off the bat that this character was about to be a bitch. But what are you gonna do? Well, let's let's figure out how she's gonna be a bitch. We also get an introduction of this professor. I'm gonna butcher this name. Guaninus, Guaninus, Professor Guaninus. And we get this behind the scenes where he has the secret, and he's kind of. Well, they calls himself a jackal, the jackal, jackal, I don't know. But he drinks this shit, and he gets mean and bad, and he's slowly trying to learn how to control it, and all this other stuff. Well, this Benji character is actually sent in by this professor, Professor G, as I'm going to call him, for the remainder of this podcast. And, yeah, she's really there to... Um, get in good with Gwen Stacy, because the professor knows that she's up to something. She has a secret of her own, and he wants to figure out what it is and how he can use it. So, yeah. Ghost Spider. Carrying on. Another Spider-Man title. Superior Spider-Man number 11, Legacy, 44. Christos Gage, Mike Hawthorne, Wade Van Vaughn, Graw Badger, and Jody Belair. Covered by Mike Hawthorne and Maury Hollowell. So, we start out with the aftermath of the last issue, and that is Otto, our superior Spider-Man, trying to, you know, get shit together after the explosion that Spider-Man and uh, Spider-Norman, as I'm calling them, have caused. So, he's trying to save people, and he calls upon his old buddies Night Shift. They come in, 
they're ordered to help and they're, they're doing their best but throughout all of the commotion and everything our norman not our norman not my norman not my norman he grabs this little boy and he says you know what you want him superior spider-man you want him spidey i'll give him to you but you have to kill three random, very, very innocent people with a whole lot to live for to get him back. And he can't do it. So Norman escapes with the kid. Doesn't kill him, but escapes with him. So he is a fucking... Otto, he's all torn up about this. He's very, very, very torn up about this. And he he realizes that he can't beat Norman because of how he's evolved mentally. He doesn't have the anger to actually defeat him. So, he does something very, very, very strange. Very, uh, questionable, if you will. And he pays a visit to M Mephisto. And his, his bargain, his want, if you will, is to be able to become his old self again. And what that would mean is for him to have the, the audacity and ruthlessness to do what it takes to defeat Spider Norman. Well, uh, I see. I kind of, I'm on the fence about this. I find it super badass for one. But if he goes all bad and evil, is he really gonna care about uh, saving this kid still? Uh, I don't know. I'm very, very, very interested though. Superior Spider-Man has been solid all 11 issues. Some issues better than others, but when they're all solid. And just goes to show that some of those issues that are better than those others are superior issues. This is one of them superior issues. I fucking dug the shit out of it. Well, the thing is, is Mephisto, he originally, he shoots down this deal. And, you know, he says, you know, the, because this, this, or this Norman is from a parallel universe, I can't actually interact with him myself. So this is on you. You know, this is out of my jurisdiction. But if you could find a way for me to help you, I'll be more than willing to do that. So Otto makes this uh, offer, if you will, and Mephisto says no. Nope, not for a day. Because part of his offer is, I only want to be this way for a day. Well, the counter offer is, check it out, dude. Um, you get, I'll, I'll give you what it takes to be your badass self. But it's going to be permanent. And... There will be, you're not going to have the disease or anything like that. that you know, makes you want to, yeah. And, and, here's the, 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 the other good kicker. Is uh, Peter Parker is going to be erased from you. So you will have no knowledge of Peter Parker or Spider-Man or anything like that. So you just get to carry on being Otto Octavius, as you were. And we get this moment where we're not sure if he takes the deal. I feel like he's going to say no, because... He's he's with his his good buddy the whole time. I forget her name. I, I I forgot her fucking name. But yeah, his his number one. And she's trying to talk him out of it. And we do reveal at the end he does take the deal. Motherfucking Otto Octavius, Doctor Octopus is back, bitches. God damn, that's good. But what does that mean for Superior Spider-Man in this title? I don't know. But. I have faith that it ain't over there. There's going to be a reversal, I would imagine, because comics. But <laughs> I'm into it. I'm into it hardcore. I dug it. And that's that was a lot of Spider-Man titles to talk about. Let's talk about some Avengers. Avengers number 24. 
Legacy, 724. Jason Aaron, Stefano Caselli, Luciano Vecchio, and Jason Keith. Covered by Stefano Caselli and Frank Martin. So we're getting a whole lot of Ghost Rider going on here in this Jason Aaron Avengers arc. We know that there's a race down below for really Robbie's brother and his safety and his future of not becoming a spirit of vengeance and yada 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 but meanwhile the avengers are facing the threat held in their celestial compound and that threat being cosmic ghost rider so like i said a lot of ghost rider in this well the first two to uh be confronted by cosmic ghost rider are thor and she hulk and you know they they do this really cool thing where they kind of with our powers combined, they do a gamma lightning strike. Doesn't even fuck with the old CGR Cosmic Ghost Rider. So, Captain Marvel, she makes an appearance and... Fucking nothing. That bitch is goddamn useless. <laughs> and... Well, no, no, there's more. There's more. Uh, even Black Panther and Captain America arrive. They show up to help. You know what? They're fucking just as useless as Captain Marvel. Nothing is stopping Cosmic Ghost Rider. The only Avenger at this point that uh, hasn't stepped in is Blade. And he really doesn't want anything to do with Cosmic Ghost Rider. He's like, this is my fucking fight. I don't care, I'm barely an Avenger. But he realizes that his boy thing <laughs> has been burnt a little bit. And when Blade finds that out, he... Mm, have you seen my baseball? He gets fucking angry. Angry. And he pulls out this, this, uh, some sort of, uh, I, I don't know what the correct, cheese words, correct pronunciation for this device is, but it, some sort of fiery gun from another realm of cosmic swords. I don't fucking know. But the fact is, is the only thing that could actually put Cosmic Ghost Rider in his place. So Blade shows up, blasts the fuck out of CGR, and he flips his script. The, the, throughout the whole time, uh, now why is he fighting him? Well, that's finally explained. Well, they're kind of explaining it throughout the, the sequences of everybody being punched, but it's very vague. Cosmic Ghost Rider thinks that the Avengers are working for Johnny Blaze. Apparently Johnny Blaze, he's super bad. He's super bad Hellraiser. And uh, CGR doesn't like this. But when they realize... And the only way he actually snaps you and realizes that after he gets the, the shit burnt out of him by Blade, that they're not working for him. And he says, you know what? I'm going to join your cause. Let's team up. Let's. I'm going to be an Avenger. And I, I, I love how Cap's like, you're not an Avenger. <laughs> you're not an Avenger. <laughs> Make sure that Cosmic Ghost Rider knows you're not an Avenger. This is not your first appearance as an Avenger, dude. But, well, well we might help your cause. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> It's uh, I dug it. There was a lot of slapstickiness going on here, and I know that, that some might find it kind of cringy at some point. But I I like Jason Aaron quite a bit as a writer, possibly more than I would. Definitely top two. I could say definitely my top two writers right now of all time. So when he gets the chance to write a character like. Cosmic Ghost Rider. I'm, I'm going to enjoy every fucking bit of it. I know some say it's too much, but I, I liked it for what it was. I liked it for everything it was. And I think we got a damn fine comic book issue out of this. I think Avengers has been incredibly solid from the beginning. And 
Uh, I, I don't find it to be any poor point to jump on this title. It's, it's incredible. It's one of my favorite Marvel titles. One of my favorite team books out there. So, yeah. Let's talk about Thanos, shall we? Thanos number six of six. This is Teeny Howard, Ariel Oldabetti, and Antonio Fabella. Jeff DeCal did the cover. So, I'm a little confused as to the, the goings-ons in this book, but I think I got the gist of it for the most part, so I'm going to do my best to describe this to you. It's really just the ending that confused me, but... Uh, so what's going on here is we get the confrontation between Gamora and Thanos. Gamora goes in to kill Thanos. Strap, stabs him right in the fucking heart. Knowing it wouldn't kill him, but also knowing the, the fact that her stabbing Thanos in the heart would hurt Thanos more than the actual act of getting stabbed in the heart. Does that make sense? The fact that it's Gamora stabbing him and not just getting stabbed in the heart would hurt Thanos. That was her hope. I don't know. I think you understand what I'm trying to say. So the two of them, you know, they have a little face off and then death appears again. And this is, you know, the Gamora's ability to actually make out and see death was the attraction to from Thanos to begin with. That's what attracted Thanos to her. Was you know Thanos thought he was the only one that could see her. Well, it turns out we got Shyamalan, y'all. That wasn't death. That was actually Magus the whole time in disguise. And yeah, we get this confrontation between Magus and. Thanos finally, and Gamora's there in between. And then we go over to uh, Zero Sanctuary, where Proxima, Midnight, and Ebony Maw, they're running for their lives because shit's going down, and they don't know how to react to the fact that they just fucked up their mutiny and all this other shit. And, uh, the, you know, the ship just conveniently crashes into the Universal Church of Truth. Well, when all that happens, all well, a good portion of Mages' followers... Well, they perish, and when that happens, Magus grows weak, and Thanos, he, he takes his opportunity, and he fucks him up, and he, he gives Gamora, or he shows Magus that Gamora has the opportunity to kill him, and he says, I would have Gamora kill you, but I prefer to preserve her innocence for what it is. She is going to kill you, but it ain't going to be right now. It's going to be when she gets way, way older, or not way, way older, but... Old enough to where I'm not worried about preserving any type of innocence. So, this is where I get confused. We go over to a grown-ass Gamora now. And she's talking to a baby Magus. And a ghost Thanos is in the background. This dialogue really, it, it confused me. I don't know what's going on here. I would imagine, you know, to those that understood it, you know, I'm sure the ending was just fine. But I clearly missed something no matter how many times I, I gave it a shot, so... But as far as the journey itself throughout this book, the, these six issues, I've enjoyed it all. I really have. I, I liked it. Gamora was written incredibly well. Thanos, <laughs> I feel like Thanos really didn't get that much of a part in this. This is more of a Gamora book, but I still enjoyed it. I like Thanos, the bit that he was in it. I mean, he's in it more than just a bit, but Gamora definitely overshadows. That's for damn sure. And I like the fact that they, uh, they really gave an insight as to... The the beginnings of, oh, what do you call them? Uh, the Black Order. And they even go back over to the ship, you know, in between the time that, you know, we see uh, Thanos and Gamora parting ways with Magus and Gamora grown up. We do get the confrontation with Thanos and his crew, and he actually praises them for the fact that they had the balls to pull a mutiny. So <laughs> he promotes them. So good on him. 
Good on him. I, you know, that was probably the most uh, <laughs> um, satisfying part of this issue, to be honest. But that's only because I'm, I'm sick and twisted and weird. Carrying on more Marvel, more Teeny Howard, as a matter of fact. Strike Force, number one, Teeny Howard, Germán Peralta, and Jordi Belair. Now, this is uh, a book that could have easily been my most anticipated, definitely my most anticipated Marvel book. I figured this would be coming out of the pages of War of the Realms based off the Strike Force and all that. Eh, I, it turns out that's not really what this is at all. There are very few characters that were involved in that. But the, they're, they're sticking with this Strike Force team name, and I dig it. So, what's going on here is in the beginning we get our, our main characters, our Strike Force team, Spectrum, Bucky, Spider Woman, Angela, and Wiccan, and they're toasting. They have these weird virus path pathogen things, and they toast, and then, yeah, it looks like it feels like they're getting ready to drink them. Well, then we um, we go over to the Avengers, and the Avengers they're off to really contain this pathogen. It's been released, and they want to figure out who the fuck it is. They don't, yeah. So uh, right off the bat, She Hulk, she's infected. As soon as she gets into this uh, research facility. Yeah, she goes all fucking berserk and starts rampaging, and she busts through this wall, and when she busts through the wall, that's when she realizes, oh, well, the, at least the rest of the Avengers, oh, those, those are our suspects. And those suspects would be our Strike Force team. Kind of confusing, but... And once again, I feel like this is another one of those books where there are more panels actually drawn out that made it into the book, and we just kind of have to use our imagination and uh, detectivize. But... I, I still got the gist of what the fuck's happening here. So now, at this point, our suspects are being contained by the Avengers, and, you know, they, they, they want to know what the fuck's going on, what's going on with these pathogens, and, yeah, no one's talking, and really, uh, our Strike Force team, they seem to not know anything, but because they don't know anything, they're fairly, I mean, they're very confident, so they're just, like, chill as shit. Just in the interrogation room, just chatting it up, like, I don't know what the fuck I'm here. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> it's getting kind of confusing. Well, Blade, yes, Blade. He he takes an interest to the situation. He actually believes that they don't know what the fuck's going on. So he convinces he, he sends the Avengers on some other shit, and it gives him the opportunity to hijack a portal and take these this team of fugitive suspects to or now fugitives uh, suspects to Indonesia. And he seems, you know, he has a, a hint as to what could be going on. Uh, yeah, uh, through the help of Angela, she's able to describe what his hint is. Because he had something in the past that involved shapeshifters, and he didn't know what this organism was. And Angela's able to decipher it and say, hey, that's, that's from, uh, was it Spartanhelm? Yeah, Spartanhelm. That's the Twisting Fae. Mm, ah. That has something to do with shapeshifting. Ah. So you get all of this stuff going on, and you get the idea. Well, throughout, while they're trudging through the rainforest on their way to the origin of whatever this uh, twisting faith thing is at the time, they come across Dr. Doom. Well, he gets cut in half pretty fucking easily. Well, they also realize the, uh, or somehow, it's it's not a matter of realization, they, they reveal that in order for these, or I, through common knowledge, I guess, via Angela, 
that in order for these twisting fae fuckers to uh, shapeshift into someone, they actually have to have them captive. So when they cut this Doom bot in half, they realize, oh shit, they have Doctor Doom. Or at least they think it's a Doom bot. Once again, is do they have a Doom bot captured and they were able to shapeshift into a... I, I don't know. Because when they cut it in half, they're like, oh, it's all squishy. It's got to be Doom. It's not a bot. But if it's shapeshifted, would the innards all shapeshift too? I don't know. Once again, it could be kind of confusing, but taken for what it is, I found this to be a very, very entertaining story. I like this dynamic between this team. I do. I think Spider-Woman hasn't been written enough. Angela, she's... I mean, she was a part of War of the Realms, but she wasn't a part of Strike Force, so... She, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I dig her. I dig her quite a bit. I dug it all. Spectrum. Can we talk about Spectrum for a second? Just for a second? But Spectrum. So that's... That's cool. <laughs> Bucky... Shit, this is ragtag, man. Uh, I, I'm going to give this a few issues for sure. I have a lot of confidence. I know not everyone is on board the Teeny Howard train, but you know what? I am. I, I've liked it all, at least the majority of everything she's done. So all of the stories that I've read of hers have had some major aspect that have has firmly intrigued me. So, yeah, <coughs> digging it. Last Marvel book I'm going to overview of the week is Powers of Ten... Number five, Jonathan Hickman, R.B. Silva, and Marte Garcia. Silva and Garcia did the cover as well. So, now that I'm finally starting to un understand what's going on in these Hickman books, I could talk about this with a little bit more confidence, at least for the first two-thirds of it. So, starts out dialogue between Xavier and Forge, and essentially what he's doing is he's... He's asking Forge to construct and upgrade this badass Cerebro. And this is coming from the pages of House of X, where, you know, we get the explanation of how Cerebro is going to be meant to com uh, con constantly copy and replicate the minds of these mutants so that once they're regenerated or rebirthed, if you will, they're able to still maintain all of the features down to a fucking T. But in order to do that, with all of these mutants, it's going to take an upgrade. And Forge's answer to this are these Shi'ar logic diamonds. So apparently they have the technology and the ability to be able to uh, uh, pr uh, actually go about this task that Xavier is requesting. Now the other part of this book is Xavier and Magneto going to Emma Frost. And they explain to her, look, we got it we're a sovereign nation now, so we start our government, and we want you to be a part of our Cohen 12-seat council. And we're going to give you uh, three seats. Or maybe she said, yeah, yeah, we're going to offer you three seats. And they don't, she says, you know, or they tell her, you can choose who you want. And she says, oh, I don't know. I'll do for four, though. Now, from here, we don't know who's on this council. We get Hickman's textbook page of, you know, the, the council and how it works and all of this stuff. But they, they have a lot of, you know, um, the majority of these council members blacked out. So we don't, we don't know who's on it. Very, very, very intriguing. But I, I, I like where they're doing with this. She's going to be really the, the, the face of this uh, uh, trade negotiations, if you will. So, yeah, she's going to be in charge of talking to all of these non-mutant motherfuckers. Hmm. 
Very intrigued. Now, the third part of this story, way fucking beyond me. I don't, I don't know. Well, I, I take that back. There, there are four parts. <laughs> the third part of the story is very, very intriguing as well. And that is Xavier communicating with Namor and asking him, hey, will you be a part of the council? And he says, nah, bitch, you ain't shit yet. So they are acknowledging the fact that Namor is a thing and he is not wanting to be a part of Krakoa yet, at least. So, yeah. But the the fourth part is involving, uh, they, they go, once these powers of 10 books go into the, the year 10,000 or whatever, year 1,000, whatever it is, I think it's 10,000, and it fucking completely loses me. I don't know what's going on in any of it. I'm sure, it, I mean, I would imagine it's going to be explained in some level, and it's probably just a teaser of an explanation to come. But nevertheless, lost me. But the, the majority of this book, the first three quarters of it, I'm happy to say I, I think I kind of get an idea what the hell's going on here. I, I feel like the powers of 10 at this point, now that I'm understanding it, is kind of the, uh, the, the subtext of House of X. I think you can get everything out of this out of House of X, and powers of 10 just kind of touches on the details a little bit more. So, yeah. I don't think you could read powers of 10 without reading House of X, but I think you could read House of X without reading powers of 10. So, yeah, that's how I feel about it at least. Well, let's move on to DC Comics. Shazam is back. It's been a while since I got to talk about Shazam, and frankly, that's a shame, because I've been digging me some Shazam. But without further ado, let's talk about issue number seven. Jeff Johns, Dale Eaglesham, Scott Collins, and Michael Atea. Eaglesham and Atea did the cover as well. So we've got our great wizard, and he's with uh, Pedro and Eugene. And they're in the Was Underlands. Does Snoop Dogg name it? So they're in the Wiz Underlands, and they're, uh, yeah, you see the the White Rabbit, and he's running through there, I'm late, I'm late, and late, and apparently the, the goal of Pedro and Eugene, with the help of the Great Wizard, is to track down Alice and Dorothy. So, if you're ignorant as to what the Wiz Underlands are, at this point I think you can get a pretty good idea. It's all magical, and I don't know, it's all magic, but they're the magic lands, you get it. I don't know. Maybe you don't. I'm trying. <laughs> so, now we go over to Billy. Billy is walking inside after talking with his, his biological daddy, who now wants him to help him find his mother. But when he walks in, he finds out that Mary has revealed herself to the, uh, the foster parents. So he reveals himself, and secret's fucking out. Now they got to track down the other missing foster kids, Freddie and Darla. Along with Pedro and Eugene as well. They're also missing, but they're in the hands of the Great Wizard at this time. Freddy and Darla, on the other hand, they're fucked. They're in the wildlands where humans aren't so welcome. Their sentence for being alive is... Uh, tiger food. And yes, the, the tigers, they are... Peopleized, if you will. <laughs> humanized, in a way. Uh, but they're kind of the, the shit beasts, I guess, of this world. So they're still caged and... Yeah. So, Freddy and Darla, they're thrown into the cages, but one particular tiger by the name of Tawny defends the kids and breaks them out. And they... The tiger helps them get through a portal to Philly. <laughs> but they think they're going to a portable Philly, and it turns out they're actually falling into the Darklands instead. So we're going to get a glimpse of the Darklands. Poor Freddy and Darla. 
They're just getting all of the worst magic lands to go to. Well, Billy, who is now after uh, Darla and Freddy, right? Is that the names? I just said, yeah, Freddy and Darla. He also ends up in the Darklands as well. So the, I'm assuming we're going to get a, you know, they're going to reunite. But I think it's going to be under some shitty circumstances. I'm excited. I hope we don't have to wait another three months for the next issue. But maybe we will. I don't know. But it, the worth, the wait was worth it to me. I dig it. I think Shazam is great. I think it's the family book. It is. This is the book for everyone. As far as a family that wants to get into DC Comics all together as a, a single unit, read Shazam. So, let's talk more DC. Detective Comics number 1012. Peter J. Tomasi, Doug Menke, Jaime Mendoza, and David Baron. Now... So we know Mr. Freeze, Dr. Freeze. Mr. Freeze is, uh, he's, he's been given this gift by Luther. And now we get an idea of what this gift is. This issue is fucking dark and creepy. Freeze is collecting. He's collecting these ladies that resemble his dead wife, who is in stasis. And he's experimenting on all these ladies with this gift that supposedly is... At, at some point, going to be able to resurrect Freeze's wife. But in order, before he, he just goes and uses it all nimbly-bimbly on her, he's trying to collect all of these women that resemble his wife in the closest possible manner. And before he got to the, that conclusion, after a series of all types of trial and error and failures as to, oh, maybe my best bet is to figure out how this thing works, is to find uh, applicants that, you know replicate the the actual patient in the best way possible uh he was going through and just finding homeless people and shit and mice and anything he could test on so there's there's actually a scenario in sequence where you see him he's doing his research but you see just these rotting corpses so he's been going through some motherfucking bodies it's just dark well one of the team, uh, one of or the goons that he sends out to capture one of these ladies that he wants to experiment on, shit goes awry when they, they, they show up, and they were under the impression they're not to bring anybody back harmed. So when they show up, they scare the shit out of her, she goes to run, and she knocks her noggin on the door, or on the table, and they look, and or the, the two goons look at each other, one of them says, well, boss says none of them injured, so we botched this one, let's get the fuck out of here. Well, Batman being... Batman, he gets word that a botched uh, kidnapping happened, and when the two goons go up to explain Freeze what happened and why they're back empty-handed, he says, look, some of these fucking injuries could just be superficial. Just because she had a little scratch on her head and bleeding doesn't mean that, you know, she's fucking useless. Go get her. Go get her, you stupid idiots. So when they go back to get her, like stupid idiots, Batman's waiting. And, yeah. <laughs> Dude. Surprise, bitches. I know a lot of people weren't super stoked on the the last little mini, hyper mini arc that Detective Comics had, but I I mean I dug it quite a bit. But this right here, this shit right here, you know this is setting up some some shit, man. I'm digging the fuck out of Detective Comics. I think it's the best Batman book out there. But in a close second is the next book. We've got Batman Beyond number thirty six. 
Dan Jurgens, Rick Leonardo, Andy Parks, and Chris Sotomayor. Covered by Chris Samley and Matthew Wilson. So we've been getting a false face arc here. So at this point in time, we've got 10. And Barry Allen. A very older, a much older Barry Allen. He doesn't go by Flash anymore. He just goes by Barry. He's not the Flash. But he still has his flashy powers. But keep in mind, you know, this is Neo Gotham. This is in the future. So we've got 10 and Barry Allen versus Split and False Face. So uh, Flash, being the fast one, goes after Split, and he's he, he, in his little montage of uh, a brief spurt of combat, he realizes Split's condition and that, you know, Split's dying. So he does his best to help, and he learns of this machine that could potentially stabilize him, and yeah, could it be good? Could it be bad? I don't know. But Adam and Kanan, which are actually split, you know, because they're two people combined into one. Um, yeah, they get taken to their little device uh, like they want to. But when it's used, they just vanish. So they don't, they don't know what happens to them. Split's gone. Now, on the other end of that fight, uh, Ten is facing False Face. Well, False Face doesn't know how to use... Now, keep in mind, False Face is using Terry McGinnis' face. That's his falsified face. And in doing so, he has the Batsuit. Well, uh, Ten is very aware that False Face does not know the actual capabilities of the Batsuit. So, shit goes awry for a moment, and long story short, or not that long of a story, but yeah... There's an explosion, and in that explosion, False Face fucking dies. So when they go to take off the mask to see who False Face really is, all Scooby-Doo style, they realize it's still fucking Terry McGinnis there. Now this raises the question for everybody immediately. What happened to Terry McGinnis? Uh, he's already missing. No one knows where he's at, but they would figure that, you know, they would hope that maybe his memories would go back to him. Because once False Face has your face... You have no memory of what the fuck you are and all of that other shit. So Terry McGinnis is out there just Alzheimer's up, not knowing anything about anything. So once Split dies, yeah, like I said, the question is, what happens? Well, they answer that, and he he doesn't know a goddamn thing. <laughs> he still doesn't know. Terry McGinnis is very much missing. It's up to Bruce and Matt to 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 find him. But then we get this moment in the Batcave where someone, this this hooded figure, kind of feminine if you ask me, is staring down the Batsuit, and she puts that motherfucker on and walks out, and uh, yeah, I believe we got our first glimpse of a cameo of a Neo-Batwoman. So, key issue for the collectors out there, but as far as storytelling goes, it's Batman Beyond. I haven't read a bad issue of this yet. Incredibly consistent. I dig it. I fucking dig the shit out of this book. Ugh, killing it. Killing it. Really, the best Batman books aren't the Batman title right now. It's the other ones. Let's talk about the last book of the overviews. Batman Superman. So, I don't know what kind of distance this book's going. I don't know if it's going to be an ongoing or... A maxi series. I feel like there's a lot of story to be told, though. Or maybe not. Maybe it's just going six issues. I don't know. I could still see it going six issues. But nevertheless, I'm enjoying it. Joshua Williamson, David Marquez, Alejandro Sanchez on the creative team. 
Marquez and Sanchez also did the cover, at least the one I picked up. All right, so our last issue left off with Batman and Superman in the Batman Who Laughs Underground Batcave versus the Shazam Who Laughs. And we get ourselves that fight. That's the fight we're getting. And we go back and forth. You know, you could tell Superman's holding back, and, you know, he does come out and say later on that, yeah, I, I was holding back because I still knew deep down that was Billy, and I didn't want to hit that fucking kid. And, yeah. Well, Batman is a little more ruthless, and <laughs> you should have fucking punched him in his goddamn face, dude. <laughs> but, uh, while Superman's out fighting Batman, or I mean Shazam, Batman, he hijacks the Batman Who Laughs Batwing. <laughs> and he's able to catch up to the, the hyper-speed fight that is going on. And he arrives and he goes to fucking take out Shazam. But before doing so, he does his little lightning thing. And he strikes Superman down, or Batman down. Batman's mortal. He can't take lightning like that. So Superman has a choice to make. Go after Shazam Who Laughs. Or let Batman fall to his death. So naturally, Superman goes after him. One thing that is uh, very quickly mentioned between the time, or before Batman actually shows up and makes his appearance into this fight, Shazam, he has his Batarang, and he's going to stab Superman with it. It didn't mean anything to me at first, but now once Batman wakes up, and the fourth Fortress of Solitude, that Batarang makes a little more sense. They're they're investigating this bat Batarang. I don't know if they actually are in possession of one, but the fact is they find out every fucking thing about it. And apparently this is what's used to infect these people. Infect people into these quote-unquote who-laughs versions of themselves. So, we can only imagine what would happen if, nah, stabbed. So, Batman, he's, he's pissed off that Superman saved him and not went after Shazam, but, you know, it's just being fucking Batman. So he devises this plan and, you know, realizes that the only way I've ever been learned to defeat these people is to become them. So he sends Superman to the prison under the Hall of Justice where the Batman who laughs himself is being held. And he willfully, willingly gets turned. So now we've got a Superman who laughs. And... This is all part of the plan, at least according to the look in Batman's eyes, so... Yeah. Ah, fucking great book, man. <laughs> great fucking book. I don't know what I'm gonna get out of this, but... DC with these miniseries, you, you've been killing it. I mean, it's no deceased by... I mean, far from deceased, but... I, I, I didn't expect much out of this because, you know, listeners in the past may know that Joshua Williamson has never been a writer that's captured me. Even though I continuously give him shot after shot after shot. But Batman, Superman, this series has captured me. So my persistence has paid off. And, you know, that's, that's, that's all I've got for overviews this week, guys. There's, uh, there's some good stuff to talk about. That is for show. Episode 50 was, was treated well. That's as far as content and weekly releases and whatever came out last week. It was good stuff. But that's that's not all there is to talk about. I do have my honorable mentions. This is the stuff that didn't quite make the overviews. This is the stuff that I just couldn't find any reasonable talking points. At least it, talking points that I feel confident 
mentioning, if that makes sense. You know, I like to have a little bit of integrity to this podcast, at least a shred. So let's talk about these. Let's start with the indie honorable mentions. We've got Fight Club 3 from Dark Horse. So Fight Club 3, issue number 9. Uh, I read the first three issues. You know, uh, listeners are probably tired of me explaining this over and over, but for new listeners, I read the first three issues, and I was admittedly confused as all possible. But I have faith in a Fight Club story and being a Fight Club fan. I decided that I am going to save all 12 issues, binge read, and do some version of a trade negotiations. At least, that's the projected plan with this with this book. I think I just need to get it all at once. From IDW, Transformers Galaxies. Ah, guys, I want to read Transformers so bad. I tried to give this one a shot. Admittedly, I made it five pages. It's not that it's bad. This is for hardcore Transformers fans that just need all of the Transformers. This is, I don't find this to be a jumping on point for anybody, really. It's, uh, I don't know. I'm disappointed. I want to like it so bad, but didn't do it for me. Now, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles ongoing, I have officially subscribed to. I'm going to start reading at issue 100 because we are at issue 96 at this point. Yeah. Or maybe I'll start reading at the City of War arc. I don't know. Actually, yeah, no, this is part six. Maybe there's a new arc starting. I'm not sure. I'm not reading. But I would imagine that you guys are going to hear me talk about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles ongoing here very, very soon. Uh, Scratcher from Antarctic Press. This concept sounded amazing to me. It did. This is a, a issue one. So this is the start of a brand new series from John Ward and Juan Romero. Like I said, this this concept really, really intrigued me. It had to do with magic and tattoos. So, I mean, just I know where my imagination went right off the bat. Now, where this book lost me, unfortunately, is its lack of color. Uh, yes, there are books out there that can get away with colorless pages. I don't think this one did it, unfortunately. There's nothing... I mean, the story was fine, and the line work itself is fine, but because... Uh, I don't know. A, a book that has to do with tattooing, I feel, needs color in it. So, may, I don't know. Maybe we'll get a Wizard of Oz scenario in issue two. <laughs> But, ah, I don't know if I'm going to witness that. You know, I, I don't have time to jump on everything. But if you're interested in a uh, colorless book that has to do with the tattooing and mysticism and all of that, fucking, this is yours. Batman Curse of the White Knight from DC. So this is, uh, I read the, f- what are we at? This is issue three. So, after getting through issue two, I realized that this is something that I'm going to need to binge. So, I don't know if this is going six, seven, or eight. Uh, the last one, or the last White Knight series went eight issues. I'm hoping this one only goes six, but, I mean, I'm in it for the distance. I just, I feel, because it's a, a whole alternate universe type of thing, even, even though I read White Knight, I'm not... There were things about it that I didn't fully understand in the first issue. So, once again, this is going to be something in order. The way my brain works when I come across that dilemma, I just read it all at once. If if it's feasible. This one, it's going to be feasible. Uh, Justice League Dark, number 15. So, this is a title that uh, I, I, I was reading in the very beginning, and I, I, I loved it quite a bit. But I think at issue 10, might have been 11... I found it wasn't something that, a title that I really need to prioritize. 
the the holy fuck moments weren't at the level that I would want them to be in a Justice League dark book, and frankly, it's wordy as shit, and I don't have time for all of that. So when Tinian kind of takes it down a bit with the words, I'll, I'll be more confident getting it, getting into it again. But I, we'll see. I, I'm gonna need a light week from DC, I th- think, and this book to fall on that very light week before I start reading it again. I don't know. I could be wrong. I'm a fucking Gemini psychopath. Who knows? Action Comics number one thousand fifteen. Uh, I'm I'm not reading action comics anymore, guys. I don't. The, and frankly, the only reason I didn't drop this book is because of the speculation involved with Naomi and all of that. Uh, apparently, the her origin story was told in just a few pages in this, and she got a fucking six issue miniseries. And I didn't realize they didn't tell any. I don't know. I don't understand these Bendis characters all the time, but it is what it is. Uh, I, I hear a lot of people are enjoying action comics, and most people say it's better than Superman. I disagree, but I'm also not a Superman reader, and I picked up at issue 1,000. So there's a 1,000 issues of action comics I haven't read. So, yeah. And the last book in the honorable mentions section that I'm going to talk about is a Black Label book. It's rare that these make the honorable mention section. I like to talk about them as much as possible, but yeah. So Harleen, book one by... Stephen Sedgwick, or however you say his name. I don't know if it's St- Stefan Sedgwick. I don't... Those aren't American letters, so... And I don't know nothing that's not American. <laughs> but uh, the only reason I'm not talking about this book is because it's essentially... You know, what you, it's really what you think it is. It's a Harleen origin story, but it's deep. I mean, they really go deep into Harley or Harleen... And, you know, we're just getting into college and all of this other stuff. And it's, it, there's, once again, it's very wordy. It took me, I mean, and with it being a black label book, it's oversized. So it, it took me a while to get through to it. And I feel this is kind of an all or nothing book. I could either get into it and pretty much give damn near a whole trade negotiation episode on it. In detail, or I can give you a 40 second cap just like I did, and yeah, so that's why it didn't make the overviews. I dug the shit out of it though. I the the art is amazing all the way through. Oh, I, I man, the, the fact that there's more to it is extremely exciting. So, I highly suggest going out and picking up Harleen. It's fuck, it's good. So that does it for the overviews, but there's still more to talk about. It's wall books time, baby. This is The Pretty Stuff, episode 50, wall books, baby. I don't know why I just said baby twice. I never call you guys baby. What the fuck? You guys are my slurs, not my babies. So let's get on with the pretty shit. What are wall books? Wall books are the stuff that I buy strictly for the cover art. Stuff that is potentially going to land, more than potentially, more than likely, going to land a spot on my wall for quite some time. And that wall is the wall that leads into the studio that is Cerebro, where this podcast takes place. So I get to look at all this amazing stuff and get hyper-motivated about comics every time I walk into Studio Cerebro. So, what are these wall books? We've got three of them this week. First one, Justice League Dark. You got two times the money from me this week. Not cover A, baby. Cover B, Justice League Dark, number 15. My favorite thing, uh, Clayton Crane, by the way. Clayton motherfucking Crane's the artist on this. What's on it? Detective Chimp, motherfuckers. You don't see enough Detective Chimp solo art. 
You just don't. I think it's an incredibly underappreciated character. Maybe I'm just a fan of the C-list. Uh, you know, I had this realization the other day. Out of the Justice League, there's only one character that I really like and follow. And that's Batman. I'm not a fan of the the major DC heroes. I like the Booster Golds and the Blue Beetles and the Swamp Things and the Detective Chimps. That's my shit about DC. That's what I enjoy. And that's, that's where DC gets most of my money. So that that money went into a variant cover this week. Uh, DC kind of fell off on the variant covers for me for a while, but I'm super happy to see this baby back. Fuck with the baby. What the, what's in my beer right now? Jesus Christ. So, yeah, no, it's it's Detective Chimp. It's amazing. Now, this Blade or not Blade, um Strike Force variant. I actually got to look up to see who did this. I didn't write it down. Um, while I'm doing that, I'm just going to go ahead and say I felt really lucky to be able to find this. There was only one in the massive stack, and <laughs> it's one of them horizontal covers, and I've got a, a couple of horizontal gaps on my wall, and it's just not very often that you get horizontal covers, so. Uh, let's see here. Who did this? I, you know what? I don't know if I could tell you. One, two, three... Scott Hanna and Dean White would be my guess, because it's definitely not Mike Diodoro. Yeah, no, I'm going to say it's Scott Hanna and Dean White, because it says it's cover three, and they're the, the third cover artist listed in the credits. I don't know, but it's Blade, is what it is. And holy shit, this cover's good, man. It, it has nothing to do with Strike Force. Well, yeah, actually, you know what? It's homaging a flashback he had in those pages, so what do you know? Ugh, not enough Blade. There's not enough Blade in the world. Next and final wall book of the week is another shiny, shiny, mighty Morphin Power Rangers book. So this is a variant 43. I have been collecting all of the foil variants. I believe I have them all at this, or at least all the ones that have come out at this point. I'm still waiting on that Black Ranger, though, so y'all better. Saving the best for last, I guess. But, ah, this week it's the Blue Ranger. And <laughs> it's it's gonna look amazing next to all the other ones on the wall so this was a no-brainer pickup for me so that uh that wraps up all of the wall books and the honorable mentions and the overviews and at this point you're probably expecting my top picks but you're not going to get it yet as i have done in past episodes every once in a while i decide to feature a submission that an indie creator has, well, submitted to me, whether it's through Instagram or Facebook or it's, it's through some version of social media. I'll just get a random email sometimes saying, hey, will you take a look at my book? And, you know, I, I, I find myself more, as much as I love discussing the Marvels and the DCs and the Supermans and the Ironmans, I'm here for the indie comics. That's really what I'm here for. I don't feel like they get enough love. And I feel if they got the love that they deserved, more people would be into comics. You see my circle here? So, with that being said, when an indie comic is submitted to me, I'm more than happy to give it a solid read, and I'm really happy when they're less than 30 pages. I've been sent some before, and they're like, oh, you check out my work? And nothing against those people, but for future people submitting their work, don't send me 75 pages or your entire work uh, collection of works. I want the thing that you're most proud of. Your, 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 yeah, the thing that you would want reviewed. So, 
Um, and come on, guys, you guys know I I got a lot to read. (laughs) I don't have time to read an extra 80 pages of something that from someone I know nothing about. So I go into this blindly, and uh, I'm featuring one of those indie comics this week. So this is from Correct Handed Productions. And this is a rated mature content type of material, so this is not a family book, folks. The name of this book is called The Offspring, and this is issue one. So this is a a story that's just kicking off. David Whalen is our creator. Uh, He does, well, everything except for the colors. And, yeah, I gotta say that I kind of feel like this is, the the colors are the only place where the book falls short. It's, It's a, I mean... The, the art itself, the line work, is very stylized. It, I mean, it, at first glance, it, it might feel like, hey, this would be good for the kids, but no, not so much. It's just the art style that's gone with it. And it's not childish by any means. That's not what I'm trying to say. It's a matter... I mean, it just seems like it could be appealing. For being a horror story, it doesn't look horrific, if that makes any sense. So, what's going on in The Offspring? Well... It starts out where we've got this very, very, very creepy, creepy scenario. We've got this young girl running through the cornfield with tears in her eyes, and this big, giant hillbilly motherfucker pulls down his pants, and we get a shot full of pubes. So you can imagine the horrendous thing that's getting ready to happen here. Well, the next shot is this girl laying on the ground in tears, but this big hillbilly motherfucker is... Seem to have had his junk exploded all over the place on account of the blood splatter all around his cock. So, I don't know what happened here, but I would imagine that it has something to do with maybe a telepathic type of scenario? I don't know. Did she blow up his junk with her mind? That's fucking intriguing, right? <laughs> that would be the way to find out you got superpowers. Just penis explosion. Maybe that's her only superpower. I don't know. It sounds like I'm making fun of this book. I, I just, like I said, I, I'm not by any means. I've, I've got questions is the, the point. And when you have questions, that's a good thing most of the time because you're going to want to read the second issue. That's kind of where my questions are leading me. Well, from here we cut over to a jail cell. And in this jail cell is... Uh, I, I don't know if this is the same girl all growing up because it kind of transferred... I mean, it... We get a shot from, you know, the teary-eyed girl laying there and what-the-fuck type of look, and then pan out to... No, I, I want to say it's the same girl, but she's in jail. And she's getting ready to get out, and that's that's really the last... I mean, we don't know much else. We know that the guard doesn't like her, but... No, she's getting ready to get out, and she doesn't know how to deal with it. So, that's the last time we see her. I would imagine we're going to cut back to her shortly. <laughs> and future issues. And now we cut over to a couple of other youngsters by the name of Kyle and TJ. I want to say they're probably... No, no, they're, they're just friends. Um, so yeah, they're, they're riding their bikes through the woods, and they they get caught up with these, these bullies. They're in their little fort looking at porn like they do, and these older kids show up, and they chase them through the woods, and they end up capturing them, and yeah, from there, the, the brother of uh, TJ... What's his name? Uh, Tavish? He shows up to the school. He's looking for his little brother and doesn't know where he's at. So, yeah. Um, He goes and he asks for the help of another friend. And once again, more questions arise because I feel like this friend has some sort of abilities. Because, yeah. Yeah, We don't know what those abilities are, though. Well, 
these kids they end up getting the, the or the kids that get captured we, we figure out who has them we don't have a name but he's this very old creepy man and well not super old but yeah he he's grown and it's not rufio capturing these kids <laughs> rufio so he's got all these kids and he's fucking apparently these kids are the answer to eternal life is what it sounds like or immor yeah immortality and in order to achieve that there must be sacrifice so i don't know this guy's eating these these fucking kids adrenal glands and getting superpowers i don't fucking know but i'm i'm intrigued i am so overall, like I said, this is not a, uh, for the most part, this podcast is not a review-based podcast. It's over overview. But when someone asks me specifically to talk about review their comic, I do kind of get a little review-y here for a second. So like I said, really my only gripe with this book, and it's not even a gripe. It's not like it's bad by any means. I just feel like the rest of the story and the artwork overshadowed the coloring in this. There's just moments where it just, I don't know, and things just don't quite make sense to me but once again that doesn't make it bad it's just yeah. the rest of everything else overshadows it and you could tell the 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 person behind this book is a different person than the color artist is my point i think that's what separates it i don't get a dark ominous type of tone in the colors at all and a, a horror story like this i think you kind of need that but with all of that being said you still realize some shit's fucking going down it's about to get dark. It's definitely creepy. I mean, right off the bat, you know, we we touch on perversion. So, yeah. And I don't, no pun when I say touch on. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't fucking know. Uh, actually, I do know. I know that as soon as issue two is released, I'm hoping that Mr. David Whalen hits me up. And, yeah, Correct Handed Productions is a label that I'm going to be looking for. I'm hoping they, this this place. I, I'm gonna look into it. Is what I mean to say. I don't know if there's this is an umbrella that other projects are under, but I I I, I my first taste of it. I'm I'm confident. I am. I'm I'm happy, David Whalen. You you hit me up and dude, if you want to come on the podcast and fill in the gaps of the stuff that I wasn't able to talk about properly, and you're you're more than welcome to, man. So, uh, yeah, we'll 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 be in touch. Now. I'm actually really, really happy that I had a creator submission for episode 50 because, yeah, that's one of my favorite things to do on this podcast, to be honest. I like going in blindly and with all of the faith in the world, and it's even better when I come out enjoying what I just read because I, I do get tossed a lot of shit, and not all of it's great. So thank you, David Whalen, for submitting this just in the right time to make sure that episode 50 is at least just a little bit more special than normal. So, cheers, man. Now, let's get on to that coveted top pick segment of mine that most of you guys at this point are tuning out right now because y'all could give a shit about my opinion, but a couple of you do. So let's talk about it. My The, the books that I want to give most praise to, and like I said, it's not about me giving my opinion so much as to making sure that certain creators and books get extra praise. So, yeah, let's, let's talk about that. My cover of the week is Clayton Crane's Detective Chimp co or cover from, yeah, Justice League number 15. That's a no-fucking-brainer. Yes, there was amazing covers out there this week. There, there were no slouches for sure. A lot of these books, yeah, they, they, they deserve to go up on the wall. 
but the the one that is a surefire going to be up there for a minute for show is Clayton Crane's Detective Chimp Justice League number 15. Now, as far as interiors go this week, whew, this was tough. Uh, fuck, I don't... I'm, I'm, I'm still going back and forth. One of them, I mean, it's, it's between one book that didn't even make the overviews, but that's for reasons I've already explained. Harleen, Steven Sajak, nah, it's good. It was great. It was awesome. Detective Comics, though. Doug Mankey. Fuck. That shit's good, dude. I dig that style. Yeah, no, that's what I originally wrote down. I'm going with my good instinct. Detective Comics, number 1015. Good shit on the interiors, buddy. Doug Mankey being the buddy that I'm referring to. Now, as far as my overall pick of the week, this is one that I didn't go with my gun instinct on. I wrote down something else, but I changed it after going through and reviewing my notes. And the ending of this particular story really it, it reminded me of how how much this could be potentially setting up. And even if it's not a long-term situation... At least a great fucking story arc. And that's Superior Spider-Man. We haven't got to see Dr. Octopus in a long time, guys. At least not in continuity. So, this is exciting for me. I I, I, I like Otto as a, a hero. I do. But, he did a way better villain. So, and, I, and that's not talking away from him as a hero. I'm not saying that. But, I guess I, I would like to see this as temporary for sure. Definitely for sure, but I'm gonna I'm gonna enjoy it for what what is coming because it's coming, that's for damn sure. So, those are my major shoutouts of the week. I would like to thank you slurds for listening to me, not just for this podcast, but for as long as you have. This is the 98th episode I've recorded. Uh, I'm I'm very excited to deliver so much more. Like I said in the beginning of this podcast, this is the warm up phase. I'm just getting started i did not expect the the level of success and i don't mean to overhype it and seem like i'm hyper successful at this point but i didn't expect to achieve achieve as much as i have already and i have to thank you the listeners for that because if you guys aren't listening then i'm not motivated to keep going so yeah i i i'm not one to waste my time <laughs> thankfully you guys have convinced me that i'm not batshit fucking crazy and people do want to not just you know tolerate my voice but actually know what the hell's going on in comic books so i thank you once again for these last 50 episodes of your your listenership and all of that please follow me on all of the social media platforms you know how to work the internet uh most responsive on twitter that's why i'm most active for sure but i'm also on instagram and facebook as well uh you know how to listen to me obviously but um if you decided to change up platforms you're done with itunes fear not i'm still on spotify and google and uh hosted on podbean so all of that good stuff and your support is appreciated no matter where it's coming from but if you want to just kind of go the extra mile and support this podcast on the next level don't get me wrong i appreciate every single fucking download just listening to the, the podcast in itself I'm, I'm happy with. But if you do want to take this podcast to the next level with me, please, please jump on Patreon. Patreon.com 
slash cheers to comics. All of this stuff is in the description. And there are tons of tiers to choose from. You could donate a dollar a month and see what that gets you. It's the best dollar you'll spend, I promise. But I even have tiers where I'm sending you fucking key issues in comic books on the monthly if that's the tier that you want to join. So I, I, I'm here for you guys. And by you showing me your appreciation, I try to return that. Same appreciation every way I can. So, yes, Patreon is the best way. Also, leaving comments and reviews wherever you listen to your podcast is extremely helpful. So you don't have to pull any money out of your pocket. Drop a review. Let me know what you think. Make it an honorous review. Let me know what I could do to make this podcast as enjoyable as possible for you guys. So, I've kind of rambled on a little bit longer than I normally would on that. But, uh, you know, like I said, it's special episode fifth, special-ish. <laughs> yeah, that's that's your special moment, me telling you to give me more money or taking extra time to do so. <laughs> Thank you, Slurds, for listening to this as long as you have. You'll be hearing from me very soon. In the meantime, you Slurds, read responsibly. Cheers, fuckers. Thank you.